Hello, all. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. So on today's show, we're going to talk about bad and worse and even worse media coverage of crime and violence. That's where I think sometimes this is like shooting shooting ducks in a barrel or whatever that phrase is, because you can just pull these out pretty much every week if you really tried. And these are three stories that are pretty remarkably bad. So our first one today is from Sabrina Franza um, at CBS News, CBS2 Chicago. Arrest rates have dropped over the past few years in Chicago as crime rates go up. Why? Okay, first of all, great idea for a story. Horrible execution. Totally lazy reporting. And let me get this right out in front. Television news, local television news, where they get the story idea assigned to them or they assign it to themselves, you know, at the beginning of their shift, then eight hours later have to have a full story, you know, recorded, edited, cut it, and ready for broadcast is a horrible, horrible format. Only people ex- trying to exploit serious topics for money would do it that way. So in Sabrina's a little bit of a, I feel sorry for, you can't do the story in a day. And this is proof. This is a perfect example of why you can't do the story in a day. This is a two-source story. And to them, for a TV news piece, that's a pretty sophisticated local news piece that's done that morning and then started that morning and ended at night that's a pretty sophisticated amount of interviews too because they got to go set them up do them edit them put the story together it's all going to be done in eight hours or whatever however long they have the story's two sources mother of a victim of a shooting i believe it was a homicide and law professor craig farnerman from the university of chicago now, if you're asking yourselves and you know anything about the police accountability world, Craig and I don't agree on a lot. We agree on very little, actually. I think he's far out too much to promote himself and his ideas and with a weird view that um, he knows best. Even in this world, I don't think his experience um, as a civil rights lawyer and a professor prepare him for that. I don't think those are necessarily excellent qualifications for the things he speaks on. This is way out hit, way out of his lane. What does he know about solving crimes? Nothing. What does he know about clearances and understanding them? Nothing. Nothing. Craig is someone that this reporter probably knows, probably has his phone number, someone she could get a quote from, regardless of how well it fit in the story, just to get the story done. He talks about not having sufficient number of detectives as if detectives solve crimes. He has no clue. They don't really. There was a study done or there was a book written by a professor at Northwestern who I also don't like. And I was kind of um, a kind of a meta-analysis of sorts of the state of research and criminology and what we do and do not know. And one of the things that was really interesting in that book, I think it's literally just called Policing. Wes Gogan is the professor that wrote it, or at least co-wrote it, is that in the 80s, it was determined that 
in cases where there wasn't DNA or over or fingerprints or overwhelming evidence or uh, or um, not overwhelming, but evidence that identified the person right away, the offender, or the victim didn't tell the offender who it was, or wasn't an eyewitness who could tell them who the offender was. The detective solved like three or five percent of the remaining cases. Let that sink in. Now, yes, we have better DNA and better um, tools like blood stain, and I don't know how well that works, but let's just roll with it now. I think there's a belief that detectives solve a high percentage of crimes. They don't. They don't really anywhere. And that's what Funderman's talking about, which is just a, a fallacy. But he doesn't have a clue on this topic, so... They aired it, and he also says the cops aren't taking crimes like robbery seriously. This is a police accountability guy saying the police need to take crimes more seriously. Wow, mind-boggling comment. But in Craig's defense a little bit, once again, he's being asked to talk about something that is totally outside his lane. What this story is really about is case clearances, right? Now here they use arrests. What does an arrest mean? Let's get back to that. So if Officer Smith arrests someone and the watch commander immediately vetoes the arrest, that would show up in his arrest. So that must mean the cops know exactly what who did it and everything. No, it doesn't. It also doesn't mean even if the arrest is done by the officer and approved by the watch commander doesn't mean it led to a prosecution. But once again, this reporter doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. So she's using arrest numbers. Now there's the possibility she really doesn't know what she's talking about. And she's actually using the clearance number and not the arrest number. I don't think arrest numbers are easy to find. What's a clearance? We've talked about it on the pod before. Clearance is um, is either an arrest Case is cleared if there's an arrest, even if there's multiple offenders, as long as they arrest one. Or there's various exemptions, like we know who did it, but they fled out of town, out of the state, out of the country. We know who did it, but they're doing time somewhere else. We can't get to them. Uh, We know who did it, but we don't have enough evidence. So any of those that are called exceptions to the clearance rule, basically, that registers a clearance, an exceptional clearance, but a clearance nonetheless. So she's using clearance so she doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. She shouldn't use the word arrest. Now, the reality is the public wouldn't know what it is. The public thinks arrest. So that's why it's probably in the title. It is a topic far too complicated for the simplification of a TV news story. TV news story that's done that day. It just is. That is a reality. She almost gets there, but it really seems like she doesn't know what she's talking about. If she really knew what she was talking about and she was committed to doing her job correctly and not just trying to get something in, you know, to get her star for the day, she wouldn't have talked to Craig Futterman, who doesn't have a clue what he's talking about related to police. uh, Certainly nothing to do with police arrests and clearances. Nothing. Clueless. The other thing she might talk about is and this has been sitting out there for months, eight months ago, nine months ago, 10 months ago, somewhere in that area, Kim Fox, her office, not her herself, but her office, her data guy, Matthew Saney, 
And trust me, ladies and gentlemen, I'm suing Kim Fox. I do not like Matthew Saney. I do not like Kim, the office of Kim Fox. I think some of the stuff she's done has been great, but we are suing her for FOIA violations. So take that into context. They published a webinar using their own data that said since 2000, the beginning of 2014, the, the number of arrests for gun possession have skyrocketed the clearances, right? Then the clearances for cases involving someone using a gun and to commit an act of violence, not possession, but a robbery, attempted murder, murder, aggravated battery at the discharge of a weapon. Those have plummeted. Plummeted. Why, you might ask? Well, someone should be asking the superintendent. The mayor and the superintendent said, oh, it's wrong. You don't know. Dan and all this BS. I got it from a source. I'm sorry, source. You're completely and utterly wrong. You shouldn't be focusing on gun possession. <clears throat> but that also could have played into the story, but she doesn't have a clue what she's talking about. She's not a crime reporter. She's just a reporter out of that pool that got picked to do a crime story that day. But this is when you taught, when you hear about parachuting in, usually the communities, but I would say this is parachuting into a topic. She just did a huge disservice. I don't know, unless you did a total crime reporter that knew the sources and knew what was going on, getting an average TV reporter to do this story in this time under those pressures, not knowing anything about the topic, very, very hard. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move on to our second story. The Trump's Operation Legends Legacy. Two years later, Chicago gun defendants get stiffer sentences. Ooh, that sounds good. Wonder how long this Operation Legacy or Operation Legends was going. I'm Frank Maine, Pulitzer Prize winning reporter. I'm sure, I'm sure he's going to deliver the goods. He would never turn in a total horseshit piece of crap story, would he? No, first of all, when you hear that title, you automatically soon, as Frank Maine does, I'm sure, because he has the worldview. He's pretty much adopted the worldview of police. His Pulitzer Prize-winning um, <clears throat> story was a total police-centric, police worldview, blame the communities, report it should have never won anything. But embedded in that title is stiffer sentences equals a win. With that title, I mean, I think it, it could have been a great story, the general idea. <clears throat> and Frank Maine has the time to do this. Not so much the worldview of the talent, but he's, he's got the time because he's a print reporter. How about Operation Legend equals no impact whatsoever, right? Because for this story to have impact, you would have to assume that Operation Legend sentenced enough offenders such a high percentage of offenders to longer sentences that it's somehow going to change the conditions in the street or that they sentenced enough offenders to long sentences that it got back on the street and served as the uh, deterrent i think this occurred in 2020 so ladies and gentlemen have you seen the deterrent effect on the streets of Chicago? Have gun crimes plummeted? 
if Maine were to do this right, he probably loses access. The way this story reads, this was fed to him via PR person, either by the CPD or the ATF. <clears throat> this was totally fed to him. And it reads like it because it's such, it's so devoid of like facts and evidence. It's a very short story. So let's go to the piece, right? Authorities have said that at least 170 people were arrested in Chicago area in Operation Legend, including 130 on gun charges and 40 on drug charges. 170. Now remember, we're at like 35 to 36, 3,700 shootings a, a year, ladies and gentlemen. Six, seven plus hundred murders. They arrested 130 on gun charges. Charges. Well, Mr. Maine, are those possession? What does that mean? And 40 on drug charges. What is the feds arresting 40 people on drug charges in the city of Chicago going to do? The average federal sentence of nearly four years in the in the cases the Chicago Sun-Times reviewed was far higher than what's typically seen in Cook County courts. To determine that the Sun-Times examined a decade of Cook County sentences in which, you know, in cases in which the most serious charge was illegal gun possession. The average prison sentence was less than a year, 254 days. In the approximately 4,000 cases filed between 2011 and the end of 2021. About 2,300 cases, other cases result in probation according to the Cook County database. Frank Maine should be proud of himself. He's got numbers. What the hell does it mean? If you if you look at this, there's a couple ways to look at this. Either he's saying, hey, man, longer sentence is good. I know it. There's no way longer sentences than 170 people made a damn bit of difference in Chicago. Or he's simply writing a descriptive paper as it would be called. Here are the numbers compared to Operation Legend. Here are the numbers here. Well, how long was Operation Legend going? Why so few defenders, defendants? Why so few arrests? 170? Is that a lot? And if nothing changed on the street, if you can't connect this activity to change on the street, then what good did it do? My bet, this reads... He was either targeted specifically by the, I think it's ATF, Alcohol, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, with these numbers, or a PR person from the CPD fed him these numbers. I think for the story, he's, with, he's out on the street with them at some point or talking to them. I, this reads like a press release. It's a very short useless story sentences are longer okay frank you're not here to regurgitate you're not here to simply regurgitate facts is it good or bad that the sentences are longer has it made a difference on the street or not because right now you're just basically writing a press release for them you're regurgitating the press release they probably sent you and whether it was distributed more broadly or frank main was targeted and he ate it up because they know he would. And who knows why he would is obvious access. This is Frank Maine. 
This is who Frank Maine is. That's a piece of crap story. Once again, that might be a story that Frank Maine wrote in a day. Got the press release, got the call, wrote it up. No problem. Total piece of crap. But look, longer sentences. Well, what do longer sentences do, Frank? Your assumption is they're good. What do they do? And what changed on the street from 170 offenders being arrested? You'll see this with crime in Wrigleyville blog. It's the same kind of uh, thinking. Alderman Raymond Lopez, um, Napolitano, Alderman Napolitano, Alderperson Spazzato, uh, uh, soon-to-be mayoral candidate and lose again, Paul Vallis. Let's see if Paul can get better than ninth. I mean, last time he lost to Bob Fioretti, so how good can he be if that's what's actually happening? Um, have to question your electability when you're losing the perennial loser now, Bob Fioretti, who loses pretty much every election he gets involved in after uh, getting um, redistricted out of a seat in his ward. So um, just a horse crap story. You're going to see this. Also, I was getting to, you see this, <clears throat> I'm talking about bail reform. And Crime and Wrigleyville blog is like 17th person out on bail that's committed a gun, uh, a violent crime with a gun. <clears throat> okay. Well, it's May, and let's say you get, that's about four a month, right? They're averaging. So let's get four, four. You get eight more. So you're at 25, and you're at 50 for the year. Wow, 50. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, there are 3,500-some shootings, and they'll get more in the summer because there's more shootings. So let's say they get 75, which is, I think, they got 69 last year. 30, 35, 36, 3,700 shootings in Chicago, six, 700 murders. They're focusing on that number. Even if they were to reverse the policy of bail reform and all those people were sitting in jail waiting, what would change on the street? Significantly, nothing. Yeah, there might be 50, 60, 70 less shootings. Would Chicago notice? I'm not saying we, we want... We don't want there to be any shootings. But when you're talking about policies that are going to really deal with the circumstances of the street and make a real impact on reducing them, why do you focus on something that is maybe one, two, three percent of the shootings? Rather than pure ideology, I mean, the, the, that's the alt-right of Chicago, crime and, Wrigleyville, crime and Wrigleyville blogger, CWB Chicago, Chicago City Wire, Chicago Contrarian, Alderman, Alder people, Spazzato, Napolitano, Lopez, um, Paul Ballas. I mean, that's the alt-right. Um, the FOP, John Contanzara. I mean, you're talking the alt-right of Chicago. And that's why they're focusing on stuff that is like literally 2% of the shootings. It's mind-boggling. Okay, we're going to go on to our third and last segment for the show this week. Listen to this title. This is the title of the story. 68 bullets fired in near north shootout, but man accused of taking part only faces misdemeanor after prosecutors reject felony charges. That's literally the title of the article. Now, that's title is so awful. Um, but sometimes should be ashamed of themselves. I'm not sure why BEZ wanted to take them over. Should have let them go. Um, 
I mean, I'm all for the paper existing, but the people on it, a lot of them have to go if things are going to change. So you would see from that title that prosecutors rejected felony charges. You would think the story would tell you why. But it does not. And this is Tom Shuba, and we have complained about his reporting in the past. The subtitle of this is Anthony D. Newman, 20, allegedly told police he opened fire to protect himself and his wife after the Sunday evening incident that sprayed bullets across the neighborhood. Okay. Why did they reject charges, Tom? You're not going to be shocked by this, ladies and gentlemen, of the horse crap, horse shit, awful journalism that comes out of the Sun-Times. Shuba doesn't know. Shuba didn't find out. And it looks like Shuba made no efforts to do it. I'm going to give it to you right now, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot press felony charges in a shootout if you don't know who started shooting. Who started it? You can't do it. Let's put it this way. You can't do it morally and ethically. I'm sure various prosecutors before Tim Fox could do that and have done it many times. But how do you, there's a shootout that's wonderful. And this happened in a case prior, in the prior months that the police department made a huge stink of. Guy and two people in cars are shooting at each other. The last one there was video. It was really um, quite interesting to watch. You can't tell who opened fire on who. Well, then, or I think the car was actually shooting. That wasn't two cars. That was a car shooting into a house. And the guy in the house came out and started shooting at the car. And the cops wanted felony charges and everyone involved. It's like, no. Yes, the gun was possessed illegally, so we'll ding him for that. But if we can't tell who shot first, then how do we know? someone is shooting in self-defense. They don't like that. There, there are black and brown men, mostly men, shooting at each other with guns. No one gets a self-defense. That's only, that's only, that, that defense is only um, left for white people. So you're not for blacks and browns. Certainly not for black and brown men. Certainly, certainly not for black and brown men gang-related. It seems to me, in Shuba, the story should have been rejected. And if he keeps coming with these, and he's had a lot of these, he should be dumped. It seems like the media is simply incapable of understanding how the state's attorney works. And I think Shuba is on the police beat, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if he is, he should be, yeah. Oh, he's covering marijuana. Okay. Wow, why is he writing this story then? But he writes a lot of crime and violence stories. He needs to go. If you don't know how the state's attorney is working, you should not be writing this story. The whole story here, not the 68 bullets, that's total exploitation, right? Clickbait. But it's not above the sun times for clickbait heaven. Why are the prosecutors rejecting felony charges? And why do the police think, push them? Now understand how this works, ladies and gentlemen. For felony cases... For felony charges to be pressed outside of drugs, and I think syndicated gambling, don't ask me why that's the way it is. I think drugs because there's just so much of it. 
the prosecutors have a process called felony review, which is they have to review the evidence and approve the felony charges. So it is in the public's, it is in the police interest to bring even the crappiest cases to the prosecutors for felony review, have them reject it, and then say, we've got the goods, we brought the case, we can't tell you what all the goods we have, we brought the case, the state's attorney rejected it, and lay all the blame at the state's attorney. If Shuba was doing his job right, he'd be digging into this, foying stuff, looking at what the cops actually did gather, and then finding out why the prosecutors didn't prosecute the case. And then to look at whether or not the police did exactly what I said, which is make a half shit case, half ass case, not be able to tell who shot first, and then push a case towards felony review, knowing the state's attorney would reject the charges. That is wrong. And it means Shuba, Maine, it used to be Heinzman. At the trib, I forgot who's there now. They're all being played by this because they're constantly, constantly, constantly churning out stories, blaming the state's attorney. That's what that article basically does. That's not your job. That is whole cloth swallowing what the police are giving you. You're supposed to distrust everyone and make them prove it. The real crux of the story is on the inside. Why was that case denied, turned down? For felonies. That's it. And then why did the police, if Shuba gets access, which he should be able to do, to the actual insides of what happened, like, why did the police bring the case? How do they know who shot first? If they don't know, then why the hell are they bringing felony charges on people when they have no idea what the hell is going on? Now, ladies and gentlemen, I would bet if you reviewed the internal documents in CPD, if they're bringing, when they go and they bring felony charges for approval, that's a case clearance. We're talking about two uh, two segments ago. That case is cleared. They know who did it. That's not their fault on arresting. It's the prosecutor's fault. When in reality, it may very well be the police fault. There may have been a shoddy investigation. They may have not gotten forensics the way they should have. They may have screwed up and not gotten eyewitness testimony or or something like that. May, May have violated either one of these guys' rights and they had to throw out statements or their weapons or evidence. They didn't get a search warrant to search the cars or something. Who knows? But that's the story. The story isn't by this clickbait hell sometimes, the 68 bullets fired in Nero North shootout. No, that's not the story. Does it make a difference whether it's 68 or 58 or 48? Come on. That's not the story. The story is why did the cops bring felony charges in this? Why did the state's attorney think they shouldn't be approved? And maybe in there you find out the state's attorney is actually doing something we injustice demand which is we don't have the evidence, we're not prosecuting. But the cops, they got their little ding, 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 got their little stars for clearances. This is clickbait, exploiting crime. This is what the media does in Chicago and all over the country. It's nothing new. And this is blame the state's attorney for not bringing charges. Instead of saying this, if they got into this story, it may have been that Kim Fox screwed up. Dinger, I'm all for it. But it may have been Fox prosecutors, again, are forced to decline uh, charges because police can't prove who shot first. Police or police, how about this? Police bring, once again, police try to bring felony charges on people they don't have evidence to support the charges. And then the subheadline, despite the violence that occurred on the street, 
the cops have the Chicago police department has no way to prove who shot first and second. And so thus self-defense there. And despite the PR work by the police department, felony charges were not appropriate in this case, experts say. And then go talk to experts. Not Craig Futterman, but like real experts. Really sad. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in this week. Um, we are lining up the interviews from the new show for the next um, few shows. Uh, we're going to be doing a show on the state attorney's, uh, the, the independent investigation to the state's attorney. If you want to laugh, go to YouTube um, and look up Dr. Phil. I was on the show, I think, three Mondays ago. I was in, out in L.A. Uh, at Paramount Studios doing the show. We talked about Jesse Smollett and Will Smith's slap. If you want to laugh, you can go see that. You can go see a segment or two that's on. Um, the whole show isn't available electronically. I don't know why. Um, but you can see a couple of segments that are on YouTube um, on the Dr. Phil channel. So um, we'll be back with you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it.